Hey guys, what's up? It is week 262, and to start this off, to let you guys know that the Robotrix contest is still going on. If you want to enter, all you have to do is send an email to davidparker1986 at live.com. In the headline, put contest or Robotrix. I will add you in. I'm going to probably draw next week. Maybe the week after, but I'll probably draw next week. This is a Region B release, 88 films. It's a deluxe edition, still sealed. Really crazy, weird Cat 3 uh, Hong Kong movie from 1991. Very enjoyable, sleazy, uh, crazy action. And uh, yeah, also if you do an iTunes or Apple review and you take like a screenshot of that or whatever, uh, listen to podcast format unless you're watching on YouTube, you know what I mean. But if you want to leave an Apple or iTunes review, take a snapshot of that um, and I'll put five entries into the contest. So I will ship overseas, but I'm not going to pay for the shipping and I won't be responsible if it gets lost because international shipping has been really strange lately. So yeah, anyways, enter to win Robotrix for, it was like the five year anniversary of the show. So yeah, let's hop into these reviews. And the first one up is from Dark Force Entertainment. And this is a bizarre one. Um, it's called The Big Sweat. I don't know if I've ever had heard of this one beforehand. Um, yeah, so it stars Robert Dazar from the main at cop films, you know, the, the guy with the giant chin. Um, it also is directed by Ulai Lamel, who originally kind of, you know, he started off, I can't remember, was it Germany? I believe he was a German director. And a lot of his early stuff, he always had a bad rep for directing really terrible movies. But I always remembered his first film, uh, Tenderness of the Wolves. When I first saw that, I was shocked that it was Ulai Lamel because he had such a poor reputation. Repu- uh, reputation. And, um, that movie's fantastic. He would go on to do The Boogeyman from 1980 and uh, some other films. Um, was it uh, Prozzi, a.k.a. Olivia? So um, as he went on, his career kind of got a little bit strange. And I would say that The Big Sweat is one of those kind of strange films. Now, this is an action film. And uh, there is essentially, here's what they say, is an extended, ridiculously long 45-minute car chase. And that's in here. Um, this is one of those uh, movies that you would put in a category is made by aliens um similar to something like hack a lantern or dangerous men or miami connection now i'm not saying it will live up to the hype or or those movies because those movies have a certain audience and, and people love a lot of those or they hate them it's kind of in that vein so i was watching the big sweat and i was immediately taken back at how strange the dialogue was the style choice of editing um the coverage all these kind of things you kind of realize that this movie kind of looked kind of in a way like it was saved or patched together or some weird thing now robert dazar is one of the stars of the film and i enjoy seeing him i really do he he's entertaining and he can be really fun um he is such a bizarre character in this movie uh he works for the fbi but he does not act like an fbi agent at all in fact the leader of the fbi is such it's such a weird kind of bizarre performance reminds me of something like um samurai cop uh the chief and samurai cop who's just funny yet feels like he's in a completely different movie at times but it's just such a weird performance from every actor in the film the lead the lead uh besides dazar is a a criminal who's uh, basically got released from prison and dazar is an fbi agent trying to help him turn over on somebody else and whatnot um he also is carrying out a heist with his friend and his girlfriend and a couple other people and uh there's some baddies that are trying to get you know uh they're involved in trying to hire him for it but he's going to play a double cross on him like i said this movie does have in the back of the case says there's a 45 minute car chase that's essentially uh, a huge chunk of this movie. It's it's kind of ridiculous and looks pretty dangerous. A lot of the stunts. Um, 
it opens up so you get a like kind of a a, a glimpse of the car chase and then it actually takes place like an hour into the movie. I remember we're like fifty minutes into this movie. The movie has no ending. There is no ending. It's unsatisfying and like you, it's like oh they didn't finish this thing or it's like potentially left open for a sequel, which is not going to happen. Um, it's just a mess of a movie, but at times it is entertaining because it's ridiculous. Um, the lead is is awful. He is awful in this movie, um, and I don't know if it's the direction, the writing, the editing. It could be a, no, a number of things, but he has zero screen presence or chemistry. And his line delivery almost seems like someone's feeding him his lines or is reading them off the dashboard when Robert Desar and him are going back and forth. It's just a lot of uh, bloatedness at, at times, too. It just scenes that don't seem to end and just go absolutely nowhere. Now, like you guys are saying, why am I tearing this movie to pieces? And like, there is a, I like, there is that aspect of it. But at the same time, I think that people will get a kick out of how ridiculous the entire thing is. Um, the lead hero is so terribly stupid that he double crosses these guys and then leaves his mom alone, knowing that she's going to get killed. And then there's a terrible death scene with her. There's no satisfaction of an ending for revenge or anything like that. They leave it open. I was the last five minutes of this movie. I know I'm spoiling, but there's not really anything to spoil. The last five minutes of the movie, you're like, oh, they're going to do something about, it. and that just ends in the credits roll. And you're like, is this open for a sequel or is this just saying we didn't have the money? Who knows? Um, there's only one special feature on the disc, and um. It's an interview with, um, who was he, uh, production manager, Jeff McKay. And he obviously mentions that the movie is fairly inept and not particularly good and how it got hooked up with this whole situation and everything like that. Um, and he talks about kind of trying to set, he, he used to work where he would sell uh, movies to Germany and Japan and all that. And that's really interesting talk about that kind of stuff. Um, much more interesting than the film itself. But again, it, it does have that kind of, I can't believe this movie exists kind of charm if anybody's ever seen that kind of movie. Um, like I said, the chief here is absolutely ridiculous in the movie. Dazar is chopping on a cigar the whole time. Um, Nobody is acting like they're in the same movie. It's just, I don't even know how to go about it. Like I said, if I had to put it with something, it'd be like Dangerous Men, where it's just like, oh boy, this is just freaking weird and made by aliens and not really completed. And I don't know what the hell's going on. That's the big sweat. Um, you know, there's not really that much sweat in it. You think it would be like an erotic thriller? That's not really in here either. I don't think there's any nudity. And. The only kind of sexual stuff we get is uh, the main guy's partner kind of basically just groping a woman in the back seat, which is unpleasant and weird. Um, it's just overall ridiculous and, 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 and like not purposely so, I don't think. But that is the big sweat. Um, if aliens made movies, it would be this. OK, the next one up is uh, from the Twisting the Knife uh, box set, the Claude Chabro set. And this is Nightcap. And this has uh, one of the regulars who's in a couple of uh, his other previous films as the star. And uh, this one, it, it has a lot of the same similar themes that he has, you know, the deceit and the kind of like mental illness and all this kind of secret family stuff and, and kind of high class kind of stuff here. Um, boy, this movie is very strange and just a, a very bizarre set of circumstances in terms of the story. Not anything quite like it, to be honest. So essentially what we have here is these two different families. Um, one, is the patriarch is a pianist and his wife died in a kind of a tragedy. They um, He's remarried married since and um he has she he has a son um and the other the other group family is uh that of a kind of struggling young girl she she wants a woman she wants to be a pianist and 
she basically lost her father. Her mother is a doctor, works in kind of like a, a, a lab kind of thing, processing chemicals, all this kind of stuff like that. And essentially what happens is um, one day she hears a story from a family friend that there was a weird mix-up at the hospital where she possibly was uh, mistaken. Uh, you know, there was a weird thing where uh, the pianist, actually, they might have thought that the kids got switched and everything like that. But she can't really help herself, so she goes and meets the pianist, and they start a relationship, a friendship, and she pretty soon starts to learn from this pianist and learn some tricks and stuff like that and become like a pupil of his. Um, there, But she notices something very strange about this family, in particular the pianist's new wife, who... Um, it's just such a bizarre, but yet great and uh, just perfectly done performance. How she's interested in this girl and how you are seeing like behind the scenes a little bit and just hints at what had happened previously. You kind of know exactly what's going on and you're just waiting it to unfold perfectly. And it does unfold perfectly and unfolds in exactly kind of a way you would expect, but just the little details are kind of unknown there. But it's just a really depressing and weird, sad story, but it has like the sense of realism to the tragedy or the the crime that is committed it feels legitimately very subtle but very detailed and real if that makes any sense to anybody but uh it's not overly graphic film or anything of that nature but if it's such a it's so it's handled so well this family tragedy or this family you know secret this dark secret or this crime that you can really when you go to explain something that happened in this dramatic fashion in everyday life and nobody really can understand because it's so complicated there's lots of nuances and stuff like that it feels like it's all here like everything in the nuances is all in this movie perfectly done if that makes any sense to anybody but again it's super well acted super interesting too and like I said, the characters are, are complex and the situation is complex. And again, it's a mystery. It, it's kind of like a, I would say, a murder mystery in a lot of ways. And it's dark, too. And, and you kind of get into the psychology of some of these characters. Um, all the acting is tremendous and interesting as well. Like I said, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot with these movies. But all these movies share a lot of the same similar themes and, and stuff like that. And that's why, they, it, like I said, his movies feel timeless in a lot of ways. And they... They don't really let me down. I think they're all really good. So the special features on Nightcap include a brand new audio commentary by film critic Justine Smith, When I Pervert Good, a brand new visual essay by film critic Scott uh, Tyfoya, uh, which takes a closer look at the late period Charbroil through the lens of his masterful thriller Nightcap, archive interview with Isabel Hubert, um, archival interview with uh, Jacques Dutonk, uh, the behind-the-scenes featurette screen test for Anna Mongolis, archival introduction by film scholar Joel Magny, and select scene commentaries by Claude Chabrol as well. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's so hard to rank these ones, but I feel like this is probably one of the... the in terms of script, I think the script is really well done, or the story and how it unfolds is really well done. So we have one more to go, and that is The Flower of Evil, and then we'll be all uh, Claude Shawbrode out for a while. So anyways, if you're a fan of his movies, um, I had had seen, like I said, only one, The Butcher, and I really liked it before I watched these sets. But uh, these have made me a fan, and like I said, these are like uh, intelligent enough and well-made enough to really recommend to anybody that's in the thrillers, as long as they get past subtitles, but I don't know 
know why you'd be like collecting a lot of movies and, and stuff like that if you if you didn't read subtitles anyways good set so far and uh the last one will be next week okay the next one up is kind of a kind of a favorite of mine i must admit and uh i had covered this on the channel before but when i saw that there was a 4k from vinegar syndrome i wanted to re i wanted to rewatch it see it in 4k this is flesh eater directed by bill heinzman uh from 1988 bill heinzman was the graveyard cemetery the cemetery ghoul in night of the living dead the first zombie in the romero universe you ever see he also was a cinematographer and still photographer he did a bunch of stuff in the romero group he pops up in the crazies um he also directed another film in 1986 i believe it's called the majorettes which is kind of a fun crazy slasher that turns into kind of an action thing at the very end cool movie but flesh eater it really is kind of an unofficial sequel to night of the living dead it has that pittsburgh uh pennsylvania charm that is absolutely wonderful it's thick regional horror at its finest so i'm a huge romero fan if anybody doesn't know that i'm big into zombies i love regional horror films so this movie was made uh for me i originally saw this at a young age on the tape revenge of the living zombies and uh, i always loved it um so flesh eater is it's, it's cheap it's low budget um it's got a lot of rough spots in terms of like the sound and and some of the acting and things like that but essentially what we have here is um this guy's tearing up a stump and he accidentally unleashes an ancient evil in Bill Heinzman, who appears to be the same zombie from Night of the Living Dead. That's right. He pulls this... Uh, it's so funny, too, because he's pulling this stump out, and he pulls it off, this big stump, and then there's, like, this weird, like, uh, like warning and concrete and all this kind of religious stuff, and he's like, why are these kids messing with my property? And you're like... What kid, what college kid would go out of his way to put this weird, like, under a tree stump? What is this? So anyways, he accidentally unleashes Bill Heinzman. Bill Heinzman bites him in the neck and creates, like, this weird zombie play going around this small town. So essentially we follow, kind of, I guess they're the main characters, these two people that are with this group of friends that are partying out in the woods, getting drunk, and, and the zombies attack them. And we basically follow two of the survivors as they run from house to house. There's a Night of the Living Dead siege sequence and all these kind of small people, like these like small town personalities interacting with the zombies. There's an infamous Halloween party. I didn't mention it was on Halloween too, which is another great touch. Um, infamous Halloween party scene where uh, basically the zombies invade. There's a ridiculous amount of gratuitous nudity. Like they, they somehow squeezed in as much nudity as they possibly could. Lots of breasts and... and sexual situations and all that kind of stuff and there's a gore gag there's tons of gore gags it, it cracks me up to look at this movie and and it's kind of a low budget fun movie and a lot of people probably pooed on it when it came out you know that's a cheap little flesh nah whatever but you look at the gags per minute and flesh eater has more gags in it in, in like five minutes than 90 percent of independent movies made now and i'm not trying to bash a lot of new independent movies but i'm just like amazed at how many gags and how much fun this movie legitimately had in it like i said it's a blast from start to finish it's a halloween kind of little like lesser classic that i think people could really enjoy themselves the score is very memorable very synth that just um it's always stuck in my head i love it um and it has a, a night of living dead style kind of round them up shoot the zombies kind of deal which i love and of course vince is there from night of living dead and he's getting real good at this if you guys are catching my drift um just really gory and i guess some people could say at times it's unintentionally funny or a little hokey with some of the acting there's a couple like uh familiar kind of character actors in here um what, the guy who runs the farm is in a bunch of stuff he actually pops up in the 
final interview by Fred Vogel. Can't think of his name off the top of my head. But like I said, there's just a lot of a lot of people involved with this that you know had a hand in Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that, or knew George Romero personally. And I think Bill Heinzman did an excellent job playing the flesh eater and directing this movie on a budget. It's actually pretty epic for a, for a small small scale movie, and it's loaded with features. And I had to make sure I listened and watched all the features on the new flesh eater 4K because they're freaking awesome. So we have a brand new uh, commentary track by cinematographer Simon Manson and composer Erica Potnoy and producer Andrew Sands. Yeah, I, I listened to this one. It's kind of mixing with their interviews because they're all interviewed on here as well. But uh, they definitely are pointing out people and having a good time. We have Zombie Nosh, LLC, an interview with producer a- Andrew Sands. And I really like... Uh, his interview, he actually plays the zombie. I uh, bet the Dracula at the party who has the over-the-top performance. And he, he brings up with uh, basically being like a production assistant, I think, on this one. Like, is that what it, I just read it. I'm such an idiot. Yeah, producer. And, like, he tells a story about originally, like, they're like, here's the producer. And he's looking around. He's like, where? And Bill Heinzman, you're not producer yet. He's trying to introduce some of the people and stuff. That's really nice. And, like, the one thing I will mention about this is everybody who talks about Bill Heinzman, they love him. They're like, Bill was so great. I still build still miss Bill to this day and they say how how much Bill helped them get in the movies and how he how he was so you know understanding of people how he's completely unpretentious all about just making the movie and having fun and a family community style thing which is awesome to hear because I, I you feel the fun in this movie and you feel the family kind of stuff going on and uh, it got bigger and bigger and like it does have a little bit of that like you know that, that what you think that Romero kind of style char where like you have this community coming together and I think Romero probably made the best original horror movies ever made right and I think that this has a little bit of that magic in it and a little bit of that magic goes a long way man a long way for me so I love hearing that uh, that interview there then we also have all roads lead back to flesh eater an interview with cinematographer Simon Mensons and uh, he basically was also in the film he does spend a lot of time in the commentary talking about when he had to like shoot the little girl which is Bill Heinzman's daughter who would go on later to play a zombie in children of the living dead Evan Hayes, right? Um, and then we have the family continues um, remembering Bill and bon, uh, with Bill uh, Bonnie Heinzman. That's always really difficult for me to watch. I love watching them, and but she's talking about her husband and the movie and all that kind of stuff. And and she worked on the movie. She's actually in the movie too. And so you're just like, ah, oh, that's kind of a bummer, but also super endearing at the same time. Carnage in uh, Compositions, an interview with composer Erica Point, uh, Portnoy. And I'm going to be honest, the score is totally underrated and really, really fun. Um, and, and and like hearing her talk about it. And you know what? She she seems to kind of, uh, like at one point in the commentary, it's um, uh, Brent Henderson's kind of moderating it. And she's like, oh, it's just a little thing. And he's like, no, it's really great, truly great. And he, he's absolutely right about that. Family of Flesh Eaters, an interview with actress Heidi Heinzman. She talks about how he would go over to, I think, France and do the zombie walk and stuff and how she she ended up going to do it in his place and stuff. Just really touching stuff, like I said. Um, crushed Pink Grapefruit Brain, an interview with special effects artist Jerry uh, Gurgly. And this guy did a bunch of stuff. I think he pops up in the Two Evil Eyes special features as well. But, uh, yeah, he did a lot of special effects. And his special effects on a budget are excellent. Like, I'm not doubting it. Like, like I'm not, like, like for a low budget, the effects are amazing. And even for a good-sized budget, the effects are really good. And, like I said, tons of gore gags. And they actually reveal this moment in there when there's this uh, corpse who's been eaten down to, like, a puppet kind of thing, like a skeleton. And they show how they did that. And I never knew that that was just 
like a little thing that they moved puppet. I thought it was a guy in a suit for all these years. I've seen this movie. I thought that was a guy in a suit, but really they just, they somehow managed to do this. Just, just like flinging a head up and it really got me. It looks great too. You rarely see somebody who's been almost eaten to nothing come back as a zombie and you see it in flesh eater. So that's a nice touch. And there's like a weird satanic magic feel to the zombie too, instead of your typical kind of, you know, unknown factor like the Romero films had. Um, then we also have To Live and Die in PA, an interview with actor John Mowood, and uh, he, he's the lead in this. He talks about how he still misses Bill, and Bill got him the job and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Meatballs and Missing Actors, an interview with unit manager Paul Giorgio. We also have a, minute, a minor budget majorette interview with hairstyles makeup artist terry godfrey extensive behind the scenes still gallery I, I like i said i w- went through all these in one day and i was very happy to listen like i it just was a nice touch to be honest so um it looks really good in 4k and i love that it's in 4k i mean it looks low budget of course right but it looks really solid in 4k for exactly what it is there is some hissing with the sound but you can kind of expect that and there's a lot of carnage a lot of a lot of people getting eaten and stabbed and shot and killed and groped Yes, there is a lot of nudity in here as well. But uh, there's also a really funny story about Bill Heinzman in a French maid outfit that uh, I'll let the special features tell because they'll do it better than me. But there is a st- there's a picture evidence of it. Um, so anyways, if you've not seen Flesh Eater, I really recommend this kind of late 80s classic. Um, it's one of these ones that's just a blast. It's just so much fun, nonstop, like kind of zombie gooey fun. Um, and there's a funny little bit in here when they mention film threat. And you remember all the zombies in it too. There's not just like nameless zombies. Like they're people that got attacked earlier and you've seen them get shot and everything like that. You're like, oh shit, like that. And they pretty much make sure that they kind of get rid of all the zombies and stuff like that, except maybe possibly one at the very end. And there's a nice bit of animation as well, which I love. So anyways, Flesh Eater, highly recommended from Vinegar Syndrome and 4K. You need it. You need Flesh Eater. You need more Bill Heinzman in your life. Do yourself a favor and buy it. Okay, the next up is the Patreon pick, and this is from Jim Simon, and he picks Swing Kids. Now, Swing Kids is a movie that I actually had never seen. It was made in the 90s, and I don't even know if I've ever heard about it. But it, I, right when I was watching, I was like, this legitimately feels like a movie they would make me watch in school to kind of like over the Holocaust, over Nazi Germany, that kind of thing. So essentially what we have here is... Um, there's a group of kids in the, I think, late 30s, right before kind of like World War II would kick off. I mean, it's kind of happening this whole time, but you guys know what I mean. Well, I guess America got involved. See, that's how westernized I oh, America, America. If it doesn't involve America, we're never, go- you know how it goes. So essentially, there's a group of kids, and they're obsessed with swing. So swing music. And it's kind of a lot of these bands are banned in Germany at the time because there's Jewish and African-American people behind a lot of this music in America. They dress in British fashions and they're kind of obsessed with American cult movies and stuff and all this kind of westernized culture. So essentially there's a group of them, about three or four that they kind of focus on. Frank Whaley is one. Um, Christian Bale is one, very young. And the other kind of major actor here is like Sean Leonard. He's an actor that I've seen around, just his face, but I'm not too familiar with him. He hadn't done anything that I, I really knew. Um, so um, Christian Bale's really solid in this movie. He's kind of got the temper and everything like that. And Frank Whaley's also really excellent uh, in the film. Um, also, it has people like Kenneth Branagh, Barbara Hershey. There's some other people that pop up. And Kenneth Branagh in this movie he plays an SS officer. He is really good in here. So they kind of ditch the German accents. Everybody kind of speaks in, in like, you know, the American or English accent style thing. They always used to do that back in the day. Nobody wanted to have a German, uh, adult, you know, German language or German accent, except, of course, the real bad guys like Kenneth Branagh, right? They always do that. So Kenneth Branagh is 
really excellent in this. So anyways, what happens is the lead, I can't remember his name in the film, he essentially, his father was taken away and he's kind of like rebelling in this swing thing, but he's also interested in this stuff. And him and his friends don't really want to join the the Hitler youth. They don't believe in what the Nazis are doing exactly. And the movie is just kind of an interesting look at how Nazi Germany like basically just uh, brainwashed all these people. So essentially a couple of the kids end up having to go to the, the, the Hitler youth thing, including Christian Bale and the lead, the other lead. And you kind of see how they're manipulated and slowly changed. And like we start with this group of just like kind of young kids that are having fun and rebelling and maybe some little criminal activity. But by the end of it, you could see that some of them are starting to be completely changed over to the Nazi party. And there's lines you get on Letterboxd and people are just like laughing at some of the dialogue. When he says, you're turning a Nazi. And he says, well, so what's wrong with that? And people are like, ah, that's all stupid. And it's just like. Look at today. People are being brainwashed all the time and they say the most ridiculous shit. Like, I mean, honestly, people were brainwashed by the Nazis and they actually and you see that the propaganda that they're pumping down people's throats and everything like that. And it's just like scary, but also always, always going to kind of, you know, resonate with with society because not a. When a society turns some way, a lot of times, you know, th- there is that moment. But there is that t- like that that point when like it looks insane and you don't think it could ever happen. But by the time it's happening, nobody really did anything and nobody wants to get involved and all this kind of shit. So like in a lot of ways, the movie really kind of, it landed with me in some ways. I know it has some cheesy dialogue and sometimes when the characters just break out and like swing dance, especially the lead, it's like, Oh, this is really kind of awkward and weird. And in fact, I don't know how I feel about the lead's performance. I don't, I I think he's. I don't think he's a bad actor. It's just a strange performance and a strange kind of actor in general. Wasn't too familiar with him. I think Christian Bale probably does one of the stronger performances, is because his character is just layered and and very gray and uh, yeah, uh, and and that way. And Frank Whaley has a really good monologue, which is you know the right way to think. Although it is kind of a sacrificial way to think in this situation too. You know, self-sacrificing deal. Uh, but yeah, and it also like it, it just. It can be on the nose a little bit, but also sometimes people need to see that, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, there is emotional moments, especially when he talks about his father. Like, it, it, it's touching. And I know, like I said, um, there was somebody on Letterboxd. I'm bringing up half Letterboxd reviews is half my review. But they mentioned, why do people hate this so much? Because they had to watch it in high school. And, they, you know, and I really felt that kind of way, too. Like, right when I put it out, I was like, this looks like something they would make me watch in high school. And, and like, I could see people hating on something just because they had, like, they had watched it in high school. So it's auto automatically goofy or bad or something like that and it does have these moments of like shaky kind of acting or or cheese or cringe but at the same time it does have these poignant moments as well so i did enjoy swing kids i thought it was pretty good um and and like i said the first 15 minutes or so i was like i don't know about this one i really don't and then as it progressed i was like yeah this is pretty interesting and i have not seen christian bale this young so that was also nice and and like kenneth brandall has been popping up a couple times here and there and he was an actor i knew of you know mary shelley's frankenstein and other things I just hadn't seen that much and seeing him in this one. I was like, oh, wow, he's really good at this uh, kind of trying to take uh, the Leeds family under his wing and, and whatnot and kind of change them and stuff like that. So I thought that his performance was convincing. So that's Swing Kids. OK, so if anybody follows 22 Shots, you guys will know that um, essentially we finished our 1994 retro 
year. We did our top 10 and everything like that if you want to check that out. But now we drew the next year, which was going to be an 80s year. And thankfully, we got one of the greatest 19... 19- uh, 80s years of all time, 1980. So I kind of want to take this time to kind of just do a little introduction to 1980. I made an uh, introduction uh, for it, a little, uh, you know, retro year thing that I do with some of them. And it's like three minutes and 30 seconds. It's too long, but I couldn't cut it anymore because 1980 is so stacked with favorites and cool imagery and everything like that. Of course, I used uh, all Riz Ortolani songs. I mean, who could not? I mean, Riz Ortolani was the master of 1980. Um, so uh, if anybody can point out the 28 saw uh, 28 movies used in the opening including visual sound clips sometimes both uh, maybe, maybe I'll send you something if, if, if not too many people can get it because I don't know if anybody will get be able to get all 28 with the clips and all that kind of stuff in there and the sound there's lots of weird little small moments in there um, but uh, yeah so basically what I'm going to try to do and you guys can skip ahead to the reviews if you'd like but I'm going to try to cover about 160 is my plan 160 1980 movies? So you see a more horror, but maybe some like kind of horror adjacent movies as well that have kind of some name recognition that some people may consider horror. Um, the thing is, uh, I, I kind of want to go over the list with you guys so you guys can hear it and say, well, you're missing this or that or whatnot. And I can send you guys the master list I'm going off of. But uh, I plan on covering all 160 of these movies. Maybe I'll miss a couple here and there. But uh, so, so, anyways, I have covered some of these on the show. And feel free to skip ahead to the reviews, there'll be timestamps. But if anybody wants to see this master list, um, let me know. And maybe you guys can follow along with me or suggest some movies that aren't on the list. But here we go. Uh, Altered States, The Shining, Cannibal Holocaust, Friday 13th, Alligator, The Fog, The Changeling, Prom Night, Maniac, Humanoids from the Deep, Saturn 3, Cruising, Dressed to Kill, Watcher in the Woods, Inferno, Eaten Alive, Death Ship, City of Living Dead, Tear Train, Night of the Demon, Without Warning, Motel Hell, Ninth Configuration, The House on the Edge of the Park, The Children, Mother's Day, Fade to Black, He Knows You're Alone, Anthropophagus, The Island, Hell of the Living Dead, Night of the Hunted, Contamination, Wind. Schizoid, Nightmare City, Don't Answer the Phone, Zombie Holocaust, Dark Forces, Unseen, Boogeyman, The Awakening, Virus, The End, Devil Hunter, Blood Beach, Cannibal Apocalypse, The Hearse, Deadline, Christmas Evil, Night Kill, New Year's Evil, Beyond Evil, Alien 2 on Earth, um, Scared to Death. And remember, this is by uh, Internet Movie Database's record. If it says 1990 in there, that's how we go. Patrick Still Lives, Demented, Macabre, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, Primitive, To All Good Night, Encounter of the Spooky Kind, Stage Fright, The Attic, Wolf Lake, Funeral Home, Cannibal Terror, Toxic Zombies, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Blowjob, Witches Brew, La Tia uh, Alejandra, uh, Godson, Dr. Heckled and Mr. Hype, Phobia, Island Claws, The Alien Dead, Lost Souls, Orgasmo Nero, um, aka Sex and Black Magic, if I'm not mistaken, Beyond Terror, uh, The Cannibals, Night of Death, Monstroid, Zoom In, Rape Apartments, Hex, Beast Carnival, Cat Catalyst, Terran Tor, Vengeance, Stigma, uh, Zygor Iluwalisian, and that's like a, a Seijun Sei, 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 movie. I can't think of the Japanese director's name. I mispronounced that. Fiend, Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind, which is more of a thriller. The Exterminator, Akela Casa in Las Afertas, We're Going to Eat You, The Beast, The Savior, Mama Dracula, First Deadly Sin, The Last Hunter, Aliens Are Coming, Blood Rage by Joe Zito, Tomb of Dracula, Vicious and Nude, Sex Hunter, Terror Express, Madness, The Return, Crazy Thunder Road, Beast in Space, Curse of King... 
Tut's Tomb, King Tut's Tomb, Haunted Tales, Sleep of Death, Savage Hunt of King Stock, uh, Moyer del Emio, All Women Are Whores, uh, Furiko Shinta, aka Writhing Tongue, Last Rites, Ombre, I think it's Shadow, and then the entire Hammer House of Whores set is there. So we have 13 of those, Witching Time, Silent Scrib, Children of the Full Moon, House That Bled to Death, 13 Reunion, Rude Awakening, Guardian, The Abyss, Growing Pains, Two Faces of Evil, Charlie Boy, Carpathian Eagle, Visitor from the Grave, Mask of Satan. Then we have Savage Encounter, Bat Without Wings, Hexverse, Witchcraft, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, Trauma, Shadows of the Mind, Sabor, Asangre, Shallon Hellgate, a.k.a. Heaven and Hell, Long Island Cannibal Massacre, Dr. Franken, Henderson Monster, uh, Vahal Almas Allah, Tear in El Latro de Media Noche, um, El Me- the Medium, Bloody Lady, Horrible Honeymoon Tour, um, Wolin and Han, uh, I can't remember what's the AK name, Gilbert de Hexe, these all have AK names, Forbidden Zone, Caged Women, The Happenings, Beast to Die, Stun the Nympho, Two Female Spies with Flowered Panties, might not rewatch that one, it's a Franco, Deserdera, Delito in Via Telada, Pepe, Lucy, Bomb, and Other Girls Like Mom, and Woman Avenger. Now, a lot of these are kind of like exploitation or thriller, but they have some name recognition that I'd like to stay. So that's a hell of a year, and that's not all of them. That's the ones that I feel like I should cover or possibly or I can get. I have a lot of them already, but that is the... 160 movies I plan on covering for 1980, okay? If anybody wants the master list, hit me up. I'll send it to you. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to get into... uh, Let's roll that intro. They did this to you! They're trying to turn us against each other! Just look at them. What do they know about friendship, anyway? I'll get them. You watch I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could he care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. Never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Gone, my leg. Gone, my leg. I'm here. You're here. There's a bug bank out there. Messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. Remember? In the lake, the, the 
one who attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. Then he's still there. Used servant. I think you will all meet again. <laughs> In hell! I'd have mercy on his soul. He was one ruthless son of a bitch. Wendy. Stay away! Darling, light of my life. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> well, Dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? Huh? My son, my son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it, my son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, see me. Oh, see me. You're gonna die. He didn't find any boy. You know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to make farmer and fritters. I wonder who the real cannibals are. Okay, guys, the first one up uh, from 1980 is Motel Hell. Yep. This is the Screen Factory release by Kevin Connor, who uh, directed another horror film in From Beyond the Grave, which is an Amicus anthology, which is pretty fun. Um, it also he also directed a lot of the Doug McClure movies with uh, like uh, At Earth's Core and Land of the What Dinosaurs stuff like that. There's like four movies, War Warlords of Atlantis, where he did like four kind of adventure movies with Doug McClure, who's in Humanoids from the Deep from 1980. And uh, yeah, so it's strange. He's a British director, but he's directing like this American movie, and this movie takes place in America. It's stars Rory Calhoun. That's pretty much the big name in here who was in a bunch of westerns. He was an angel. And uh, Rory Calhoun gives one of the my favorite performances of 1980. Let's start that out. So, essentially, we had 1974 with stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We had a lot of backwoods horror after that exploitation. And so this one feels kind of like in the same vein of that, the this like kind of like, you know, exploitation kind of cannibal stuff here. But it has more of a comedic tone, right? It has that funny kind of tone, and I would say that's funny because when uh, Toby Hooper made Texas Chainsaw, he said it was a comedy. Everybody's like, "What?" And then he would go make the sequel, which is completely off the off the rails comedy, weird stuff. But Motel Hell sits in that middle of Texas Chainsaw One and Two, and it has the comedic elements. Possibly, you know, maybe he was going for I don't know. So, anyways, um, what we have here is a. Uh, uh, um, a young woman and her boyfriend get in this motorcycle accident caused by Rory Calhoun. Um, the husband is taken away and uh, kind of I'll, I'll explain exactly what's happening to him later. But as she's kind of wakes up and, and sees like this uh, Rory Calhoun and his sister and he she's kind of confused. They tell her her boyfriend's dead. And uh, eventually she starts to hang around this pig farm, which is where Rory Calhoun lives at along with his sister and they slaughter pigs. But that's not all they're doing here. Right off the bat, we know that they're up to no good. Um, Roy Calhoun's brother um, is also a police officer, so he starts to kind of take a liking to this girl as well. And weirdly, there's a love triangle between Rory Calhoun, uh, this sheriff, and this girl, which is a very unlikely thing. Um, Ida, the character Ida, is also excellent. That's uh, Roy Calhoun's sister, and she's kind of like this this bigger girl that's just absolutely really fun and great performance in here. 
actually have the special features they talk about kind of like the different kinds of leads that would be in horror movies female leads that would be in horror movies at this time you have like the real pretty girl and then the real kind of like uh i, I don't remember the three but they say she's the the different kind of type the weird kind of strange type that's really different it's a really kind of larger than life performance very fun now rory calhoun in this movie has such a really fun kind of like uh you know demeanor about him like he's a businessman similar to the cook and especially the cook and and uh texas chainsaw massacre 1986 where like he but Roy Calhoun's much more nice and charming. And he has like this good natured quality about him where what he's doing is, is kind of in, like he says it's for God, but it's also for a humanitarian reason and a and nature reason. So essentially what they're doing is they're, they're basically anybody that goes through on roads, they kind of spike the roads or hit the roads up. They, anybody that crashes, they bury them neck deep and cut their vocal cords and they feed them like livestock. And he looks at them as livestock and he obviously is cutting them up and feeding them and selling the food hence it takes all kinds of critters to make farm and farmer vincent's fritters so that's a kind of an iconic line of the movie but uh anyways the movie feels like it's definitely a carryover from the 70s where we had that tonal kind of shift of like weird kind of silly comedy and stuff like last house on the left or the town that dreaded sundown it's still in motel hell like these weird farcical moments of like you know sex comedy almost that don't seemingly belong here like i said like but in this one the tone is a little bit more goofy so it's like I think that people will be able to swallow that pill a little easier and I've always kind of like kind of adapted to the grindhouse kind of serious like goofy like serious to goofy kind of switch and I don't mind it I like it I mean um, there's my bones cracking but yeah this one does have a little bit of that as well and the comedy doesn't always like as a dark comedy as well but it has the weird zany qualities as well. Um, like I said, Roy Calhoun and Ida really make this movie. I don't know the actress's name off the top of my head, but they really do. Um, the, their demeanor, their comedy moments. And like I said, it does have also kind of like some, um, eating Raul moments, if that makes any sense with a group of swingers. And there's just all sorts of weird zany things happening. Um, the end fight scene is excellent. Um, it has the cover art right here. If you see that with, uh, uh, a pig headed character and a chainsaw. Um, yeah. So, so you kind of can guess what's going on here. Um, it might have the best deathbed confession of all time to be honest. Um, as far as the features are concerned, um, there's new audio commentary with director Kevin Connor, moderated by Dave Parker, the director. Um, new interviews with Kevin Connor, producers, uh, writers Robert Jaffe and Stephen Charles Jaffe, actor Mark Silver. Interview with actress Paul Lynn and uh, Roseanne Caton. Ida Be Thy Name, a look back at Motel Hell's frightful female protagonist, Ida Smith. And I like that one the best because it's just a lot of people talking about different kind of female protagonists and stuff like that. Or, or they call her a protagonist in that movie? I guess she is, right? Um, but anyways, like um, the one downside of this movie is that uh, um, the two killers in the movie kind of overshadow everything else in the film. Um, and the, the idea of having people buried neck deep and cutting their vocal cords is something real haunting and creepy in this kind of weird, kind of silly horror film at the same time you'll spot uh, Ra uh what is his name uh john ratzenberger i think his name from cheers is in here as a as a bandmate um and yeah there's some good gore gags in here towards the end of the film it's not overly gory but uh anyways rory calhoun really is wonderful in the movie charming as a killer and it's strange you'd never get something like uh, uh somebody being killing people because you know there's too many people on the planet there's 
not enough food. It's crazy that this kind of like down south kind of good old boy has these weird humanitarian reasons for killing people. That would never happen in a movie now. They they definitely would mix that up. Because, I mean, even if you look at other ones like Hunter's Blood, they're poachers out there. And uh, Texas Chainsaw, they're doing it as business only. But, like, we, <laughs> Roy Calhoun has, like, this kind of higher calling to why he's doing this at the same time. He wants to keep the costs low. Anyways, uh, there, there's some really great moments in here. Motel Health, first movie in 1980. Did not disappoint on rewatch. I should mention that uh, my Aunt Karen and Uncle Terry have always had a soft spot for this movie and my cousin Jimmy. So, yeah, Motel Hell is kind of one that uh, I have an affinity for, for sure. So maybe there are people I know people don't like it probably as much as me or some people probably love it. But uh, I, I've always enjoyed Motel Hell and I always will, I think. You know, it's not perfect, but the, the bits of imperfection are canceled out by some of the stuff that I really do always remember and love. So, yeah. And the next one up shows how different 1980 is in comparison to movies. And this is Encounter of the Spooky Kind, directed and starring Samo Hung, who is a martial artist. And I've seen, I think, The Man from Hong Kong. He has a role in that. He's really good in that. But uh, I'm not as familiar with Samo Hung as I should be. Um, and boy, oh boy, is he just awesome. So um, I think he came from kind of like uh, from the school of like Jackie Chan, trying to learn from Jackie Chan and stuff like that, or do that kind of style of like comedic fighting and being a badass at the same time. So this is a first time watch for me. And it was one that I had to have right away. This is the second Blu-ray I bought, of course, of it though. So um, this is a really weird movie. Like uh, it's different in a lot of ways. Like they said it inspired stuff like Mr. Vampire from 85, which is a blast. And it is like, it's kung fu it's comedy and it's horror and it has these elements of stuff like evil dead 2 down the line where they have like these weird kind of fun moments of like you know uh monsters in a mirror and and just playful action at the same time and slapstick with the monsters and everything it's not as gory as evil dead 2 but i guess let's get into the plot of this bizarre one samo hong is uh i think he's like a driver and it's a period piece and he's kind of a, a buffoon but he's really tough they call him big guts or, or fatty or whatever they call I'm pretty rude. Um, and he's married to this woman that obviously is unhappily married. Um, she doesn't particularly like him. And uh, he's always trying to catch her cheating on him and stuff like that. One day she disappears and it looks like she's been murdered. Um, and so essentially he's blamed for all these kind of uh, this murder. He's, he's kind of put in jail and everything like that. But we what we really know is happening is there is basically his boss is basically sleeping with his wife, wants to kind of get him condemned and put in prison so they can get rid of him. But before that, we also have like kind of a V or Vi storyline where he has to stay the night in this kind of haunted house and he's dared for money and all this kind of stuff. And there's like an evil master wizard kind of behind it pulling the strings. And so we have like him kind of having to survive and fight this weird zombie and stuff like that. And there's a couple moments like this and gags and stuff. There's one earlier with a mirror that's really fun. So like we have that aspect of the movie and I was so glad that wasn't just the movie. Like I was like, I can, I, I can dig this, but that was just a little part of it. So like as it goes on, like later, um, there's another kind of master that decides to help him because he knows that one of it, his old master, what he's doing, he finds wrong. So he takes some hung under his like kind of wing and he basically trains him a little bit and, and which leads to this giant showdown between these two wizards and it's insanely weird and goofy and funny and just bizarre. Lots of cool gags. I will warn you, it seems like almost every movie from 1980 has animal cruelty. Encounter of a Spooky Kind is no different. So we got a lot of dead chickens and stuff like that, which probably won't, you know, 
excite too many people. Um, the stuff that I loved was uh, Sambo Hung's fighting. Like, there's a great moment where he escapes from prison and he has to fight these two guys close quarters. And he just boots this one dude in the chest so hard and he hits against the wall. Because it's very rare that you get to see kind of a bigger guy throw down and, 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 and throw down in such a believable, entertaining way. Like, the stunts he's doing and stuff. Like, because he's a stocky dude. Like, and he obviously is very athletic and it's just really fun to see him throw down with a lot of guys because you don't typically see that you know you have your typical skinny or built guy fighting in these movies and seeing him kind of throw down with everybody was just really awesome like i said the ending is bizarre fires flying at each other and just weird spells kind of reminded me of you know obviously a less serious more playful the wailing because that's a uh, north uh, south korean movie where they kind of use like the spells and stuff like that and controlling people and everything so like that kind of idea is in there too right like so we have like all these stuff that would be used later and I feel like this movie is pretty and probably heavily influenced to other films although I've not seen too many before this I have seen other Hong Kong and Chinese films so um, usually uh, the, the Kung Fu and fantasy stuff is from the Shaw Brothers and it's less horror oriented but this has that kind of horror stuff too and like I said obviously kind of a you know uh, you know inspiration to maybe somebody like Sam Raimi although 1977 we have Haosu which could have been you know inspiration to Sam Raimi too but it definitely have that playful kind of lead that's just kind of like comical but also trying to survive uh anyways really dug this one there is a commentary on here um uh where is it uh sorry about that uh by asian film expert frank Jin, and he starts to talk a little bit about uh you know some of the dialogue used and how that would be a reference to kind of a you know lots of different stuff like an old shoe and, and like that's interesting too and helps with context anyways encounter of a spooky kind Another good one for 1980, and um, uh, you know, uh, it's just a lot of movies I get to watch for the first time. I'm excited about, so this is a cool one. Summer Hong for the win, good stuff. Okay, the next one from 1980 is uh, one I've seen before, and this is The Beast. Now, some people explain this as kind of like a, a Hong Kong version of Deliverance or Last House on the Left. And, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, so, essentially, um, this version is actually in English. I watched it online in Cantonese, the original language. I, I suggest you do that. I did watch some of the English one, and it's just a little bit too too much here. So, uh, what we have here is, like, the movie opens up, and it, the opening reminded me of, like, Hunting Party in a lot of ways, where we have, like, that brutal animal killing. And so, warn you, real animal violence here. We have this group of kind of, like, these kind of backwoods guys, and they're all really memorable looking, especially this guy here with the teeth licking the hook. You might recognize that from the opening. Um, so essentially, um, there's like five of them and they like catch this pig and it's real brutal and they obviously kill it. And you kind of like are introduced to these people in that way. You're like, I know who these people are and they seem to almost take pleasure in it. Um, there's like a, a group of them and it's called the beast and they do like have animals and they kill animals and, and some of them even have animal like qualities about them. So these are kind of the villains of the story and they're introduced and it's like kind of the location as well, this isolated place and scary. So essentially what we have here is uh, five people are going out camping. They kind of like say goodbye to their family, the father of the main characters. We have a sister and brother, kind of the leads here and uh, they go out and, and after a while they run into a couple of these back woods people very typical kind of exploitation style stuff here um and it's kind of a it's really weird and uncomfortable of course and, and then a couple of the guys come back and they ditch they leave um unfortunately the girl is out by herself and she's like washing some clothes or dishes and the the gang of thugs or beasts come across her and they uh 
they molest her. They rape her, of course. It's fairly graphic. It's not as graphic as some of the stuff, but they do show some things. And there's some small little touches in there that are, you know, add to the sleaziness or uncomfortability of it. You know, somebody licking her ear, shit like that. Um, they also, I should mention that the group of kind of rapists or villains have like a mentally handicapped person with them at the same time, like this kind of balder guy who doesn't really partake in any of the violence against them, but he's kind of guilty by association and he's just kind of lost without any friends and he doesn't really know what to do. And he's not treated very well. You kind of have some sympathy for this character, the big bald guy. So uh, what happens is the brother goes out um, for revenge right away and it gets worse. It gets worse for these people. Um, and anyways, uh, the two are very badly damaged or killed. I don't want to spoil absolutely everything. And the father of this comes back and he wants his vengeance, of course. Um, and that kind of turns into like him picking them off. And I don't want to say almost slasher ways, but the deaths are over the top and kind of extreme and kind of aligned with like I spit on your grave or something like that. And the addition of the mentally handicapped guy with the group of them obviously is a thing like I spit on your grave, right, with Matthew. So uh, the father picks him off you know, one by one until the climax. And there's some nice touches in here, you know, the gang fighting with each other, very similar to I Spend in a Grave. The one thing, you know, in like a, a revenge movie or a rape revenge movie like this, you kind of feel a little bit, I know this is weird and I don't know if this is justified or not, but you feel a little bit more comfortable. And I've had friends, somebody say this to me before, you know, I'd rather have the person who's assaulted get the revenge than someone else. It just feels a little bit more, I don't know, like cathartic in a way. You feel less guilty about the grud the grittiness or whatever the hell. You guys understand what I'm saying. So uh, the the picking them off is pretty intense. The first one, it's off. there's a couple off-screen ones, but you see the aftermath, and I think that's worth the price of admission. You know, kind of like the aftermath's a little bit, kind of the reveal's pretty cool. Um, one of the characters, um, the snake guy, is just one of the best villains ever. He looks straight up like Richard Ramirez, um, and and he's just has a growling voice. He's really weird and creepy and just kind of a good villain, to be honest. He was kind of made for these kind of roles, I imagine. And he's just really memorable, as well as the, the bald guy. And I think the bald guy's in lots and lots of movies, if you look him up. So, like, those two stand out to me. Um uh, there is a lot of snake killings in this movie. Dozens of snakes are killed violently. You know, it's like Stanley or something. A lot of ki- a lot of killing of snakes. I know that's going to be uncomfortable. I obviously didn't like watching it, but it's 1980. It seems like the last hurrah of animal violence in movies. Hell, Cannibal Holocaust is the same year, so... Uh, Friday 13th, there's a lot of animal cruelty happening in 1980 from all countries, including China, Hong Kong, Italy, America. It's just, unfortunately, still a staple of cinema at the time, especially genre cinema. So uh, the ending of this movie is, it's it's one of those kind of mean-spirited endings that I I feel like is is the proper way to go. For this kind of thing. I really like this movie. I know it's kind of it's explaining how horrible it is and messed up it is. Everybody's like, I like that. Because I, I, I like these kind of films. I like the backwoods kind of stuff. And, you know, City meets that. I wonder, it, it's not had a good release in the States or maybe ever. Um, it was remade twice, which is fucking bonkers to me. Loose remakes, I believe, 1999. One with Anthony Wong called Deadly Camp. And then and again in 2003, The Beast, A.K. Deadly Camp again. Um, I think that third version is the most rare to come across, to be honest. Um, so so it's just bizarre this movie was remade twice, especially that close to close. I don't know how close the movies are and everything like that. But anyways, the bad guys are real sleazy in this, real nasty. You enjoy watching them get killed. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more on-screen kills. I like the father. He's kind of a Charles Bronson-esque character, right? Silent, strong type. Um, and the ending, it, it works well. Uh, I imagine that this isn't released because there's a lot of bigger needle drops. I think that uh, 
the police are in here, uh, message in a bottle, I think plays songs like that, you know, that it's just like, I don't know how the fuck they would clear those rights for something like the beast, which is kind of just a, a sleazy, uh, kind of, uh, you know, flick from 1980. But, um, one that might be, I guess a hidden gem for some people to be honest, because it has that weird quality of like, I like these kind of revenge movies. I love revenge movies. And especially when they kind of cross over into the horror exploitation area, I, I just kind of like always seek them out, but, uh, yeah, it's not going to be for everybody. Uh, and it's a scary location. Like I said, being in the woods like that and everything like that, right. When those people came across me, um, and they started acting like that, I'm like, we got to go. We don't want to be anywhere near these people because something you're just asking for trouble at that point. I guess we're going to do the pervert card for this 1980 flick, and this is Zoom In Sex Apartments, a.k.a. Zoom In Rape Apartments, and that's probably a more close uh, title. This is from the Nakatsu Erotic Films Collection. This is part five. This is the fifth release in that collection, and I'd heard a little bit about the Zoom uh, Zoom Up and Zoom In movies. I've seen one of them. I can't remember the name. They're all so similar, and they have alternate names, which is really crazy, kind of Jolly-style story in apartment complex and murders and stuff. It was really good. This Zoom In Sex Apartments movie is freaking wild, and obviously you're getting your pervert cards out for this one. The first five minutes, ten minutes of this movie, there's like two rapes. I was just like, geez, Louise. And uh, so essentially what's happening is there's a character going around, a character, a monster going around and raping women and like burning them. Like, um, and burns them in his brutal way, burns their genitals. And there's an aftermath shot in the beginning where I was like, I can't believe they showed that. But essentially our lead character, her, her boyfriend, her husband is leaving on a trip and she goes for a bike ride and she's raped on the way there. Um, and pretty, pretty, uh, brutal fashion. She ends up going someplace and meeting an old lover and they start to talk. And right away you're, you suspect this old lover. Is he the rapist? Is he the arsonist killer? Are they the same? All this kind of element playing here. Um, as it goes on, you start to kind of like see more rapes and, and more murders and you start to suspect this guy more and more as it go. Like I said, as it progresses. And she also has this weird kind of sexual fantasies and fetishes as well. And it just starts to blur these lines and make it really uncomfortable in that situation to make matters more complex. We have this other girl who seems to be homeless and, and kind of a, uh, I don't want to say like degenerate or something like that. She starts to like witness. She witnesses one of the burns person, people being killed and murdered and burned alive, maybe possibly. And she kind of just like becomes infatuated with the whole situation as well. So it becomes this weird kind of love triangle and, and just a lot of sleaze, a lot of sex, a lot of long pinky sex scenes, as you guys know, and rape scenes. Those are in here as well. But by the end of the movie, it was just completely bonkers and it gets really surreal and kind of in this weird fantasy sex scene, which I thought was kind of like different in these. Um, and uh, like if you ever felt like you wanted to see people be burned alive, then this is the movie for you. It would make kind of a nice, uh, I guess, another centerpiece or brother sister piece with something like don't go in the house, which uh, aka the burning, which is essentially just, you know, a guy burning women with a flamethrower. Um, this, that one's a little bit more psychological based in psycho. And this one is more like a sex, sexual, psychosexual, you know, weird fancy fantasy thing too, like with her sexuality. Um, obviously not going to be for everybody. Um, really weird shit um and the murders like the one murder i was just taken back and like there's a moment where like the father of the victim is kind of like messed up ever at the very end because of all of it anyways just a really twisted weird movie from 1980 a pinky movie so i think we're already hitting like we got an american movie uh some chinese hong kong movies and then we have a japanese film so kind of a widespread on what we've been talking about so far for 1980 but uh this is from the nakatsu Relax films collection from impulse uh if you're interested um this is one of the 
more brutal ones, I would say, from that line so far. Okay, the next one up is from 1980, again, of course, and I think this movie is kind of uncompleted or had a lot of trouble in production. This is by kind of the legendary director Roger Watkins, who directed the movie Last House on Dead End Street from 1973. He also directed some porno films, including Corruption, Put About Vinegar Syndrome, and this is a bootleg of Shadows of the Mind. I don't know if it's ever had a proper release. I'm sure some people have a VHS floating around. Um, this kind of reminded me of the movie from 1970, Jan- Janny, which I think is that a Roberta Finley or Doris wish me i don't remember which but i think it's roberta finley so essentially that movie is like this weird kind of psychological thing where this woman goes around and murders um but it also was kind of a mixture of jose Larraza's symptoms of course not nearly as good as symptoms but it is better than janie i would say so what we have here is this girl who has witnessed a horrible act with her parents they both drowned uh, i think her, her father and like a stepmother they both drowned and died, maybe it's her actual parents, and she's been haunted by it, she's been in a hospital ever since. The doctor decides to let her go out, thinks she's ready to see the real world. She's kind of released back to, like, her family estate. She owns it. They have a lot of money. They had a lot of money, so she kind of goes to this estate. There's a caretaker there that's very bizarre. Um, Going to this estate is obviously not going to do her any good. Her stepbrother shows up, and he's a slimy piece of shit. We get narration from a lot of people, including the brother and including her, and we have a lot of these flashbacks that go back and forth. So, we kind have this like psychological kind of thing going on for like about 40 minutes the movie's about an hour and 20 and then the first murder occurs and you don't really know if somebody's behind the thing pulling the strings and you're not 100% sure who's committing the murders but you really kind of have a general idea um, as it goes on the murders are, are fairly graphic especially the first one that involves a scythe which I think is actually on the VHS cover if anybody's ever seen it and then later we have another kind of murder involving somebody getting stabbed in the eye so the murders that, that actually happen are pretty grotesque and I like these kind of movies where we have like a psychologically damaged character finally snapping or kind of diving into it. It doesn't seem like there's absolutely enough to make a complete movie, but what we have here is fairly decent enough to see kind of like and watch and check out and see like, yeah, this is all right. You know, it could have been a lot better, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse. And when the the killings actually happen, I think they're quite effective. And there is a reveal, which I do kind of like these reveals where you actually see exactly what caused the trauma and everything like that. But that's Shadows of the Mind. Had to watch the Roger Watkins movie because last time I said Dead Edge Street's kind of a, you know, a fairly uh, prolific movie in the extreme genre and I know that he did a lot of other films as well but that is Shadows of the Mind okay movie I'm glad I watched it for 1980 kind of mix it up and something that I had never seen before Okay, the next one up from 1980 is another bootleg, and this is Terror on Tour. This is like a rock and roll horror film or heavy metal. Remember those heavy metal kind of horror films that came out? A lot of them like Rocktober Blood or um, Shock and Shock of Dead. This one's more like rock and roll style. This is directed by Don Emmons, who uh, was an actor turned director. He did a couple of the Ilsa movies, the first two, I believe, uh, the legendary awesome Ilsa and the She-Wolf of the SS, and then Ilsa and the, the Oil Shriek, Har- or whatever, Harmon of the Oil Shriek. So Don Emmons obviously has some good exploitation films under his belt. Um, Elsa's Elsa's a classic, right? So I was like, okay, finally time to watch Terror on Tour. I, I put in the, the, I actually watched it online again, you know, you can watch it on YouTube, stuff like that. And I was like, man, boy, I'm not, this, this is pretty unwatchable in co- terms of quality. It's one of these dark VHSs that when you watch it, you can't see a damn thing. Um, so essentially what we have here is a band, the manager, all the kind of major characters in the movie. They all look similar. It doesn't help that a lot of them dress up in makeup. So you're by there. You're like, I don't know who any of these characters are because the dialogue's very poor. They don't really stand out and you know, they're all dressed in makeup. Um, every time they go on tour, there's a prostitute that's murdered. There's some sex scenes, some nudity and stuff, of course, but there's a prostitute that's killed a police 
detective gets involved. He even tries to get somebody that he knows that's kind of a, uh, I guess, a stitch or whatever to go undercover and be involved with this as well. So, yeah, basically that's kind of the movie. Every time they have a concert, somebody gets picked off. There's a lot of dialogue. Um, it's not very well edited because, like, there's a lot of the moments where, like, there'll be tons of dead air in between lines. They'll be like, yeah, that's a great song. Then it cuts to somebody else. Yeah, I think I'm good at guitar. And it's just like, why is this edited so poorly? Like, I don't know if they're trying to pad the runtime, but this needs to, like, the dialogue seems very unrealistic. It's edited very poorly. There's so much air in between all the lines. It's just very deadpan and very poorly acted, to be honest. And like I said, I don't know who any of the characters are because I can't fucking see them. It, you know what I mean? Like, and they're barely memorable in the first place. Um, but of course there is a killer and it's kind of strange too. Like, you know, usually slasher movies, you have a group of friends and they go out and they get picked off by a killer from the outside or there's a killer on the inside picking them off. It's not usually, you know, a group of friends and there's a killer from the inside picking off other people that are completely unrelated to any of these fucking people for the most part. Right. It's kind of strange. It's, it's just weird. And uh, you know, it's 1980, it's early in the slasher kind of boom. So like, the, I guess the rules weren't set. That's an unknown force or a group within killing the people that are there. I mean, a couple of the people that are involved with the group do get picked off. Um, not particularly a good movie, honestly. It was kind of boring, kind of hard to follow because all the characters look similar. They're all in makeup and it just looked poorly done, like in some aspects in terms of editing. But maybe if it was cleaned up, it would it would help a bit, you know, right? I could tell the characters apart. I could hear the dialogue better and everything like that. And this, I, I probably, I, I saw a few editions floating around online and I watched the best looking one and it still wasn't great. Let's be honest. Um, so Terran Tor just, I, I don't think it's a particularly very good movie. It's not well loved or anything like that. I don't know any of the actors in there. There is some sleaze and nudity and stuff like that. If you're interested in that, um, just the detective is such a, the one detective is always telling this other detective what to do. And it's just like, why don't you fucking do something? You're just standing here drinking a fucking cup of coffee, telling everybody that to do. You're doing absolutely fucking nothing about the case. So like, it's just not a very good movie. I'm sorry. Like I, I, I like, and that might change if it was a better edition, but I really don't think so. Because I said the, the editing is terrible. The dialogue is terrible. The acting is terrible. The characters are terrible. And there's no like pace. Like it's just poorly done into the terms where you can't really follow because everybody's talking about boring shit nobody stands out um they do try to create some intrigue with you know a character having like a note that was written to him and you can see see their psychological kind of crumblings but you and it's kind of left vague who it is but i really had trouble giving a shit um and it's just strange and it's just like now we introduce a prostitute or a groupie and they are killed and it's just like like you're just introducing new characters to kill every time and i get it that's the character's the killer's mo but at the same time the slasher world wasn't yet created and this is just a formula i'm glad we didn't really go with it could be good it could be good but terran tour is not good so sorry not not the worst movie of course or anything like that but you know it's like a two out of five or some shit like that so that's what i go with somewhere around there terran tour okay and the last one from 1980 is just a crazy one and this is uh choi uh choi hawk uh it's not, it's not spelled that way but it's pronounced choi hawk and this is uh dangerous encounters of the first kind i believe it's called that yeah dangerous encounters of the first kind now there's a couple cuts of this film i watched the director's cut there's a theatrical cut and the run times i think are about five minutes different some people list uh run times as you know, 95 to 100 minutes. There's sometimes 90 to 95 minutes, regardless. The director's cut incorporates VHS footage because that footage was lost. So, um, some people explain this as kind of like the craziest nihilistic punk rock movie. And this, this is more of like a thriller, I guess, but it's psychologically really messed up and really twisted and really exploitative in a lot of ways, but very, very smart too. Again, 
some real brutal animal cruelty in this movie involving mice and a cat, which I was kind of taken back at a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, oh, shit, I can't believe that's there. I can't believe they did that. Um, and, and it is bothersome. So kind of like we see that animal cruelty by a point of view. You don't know which character is doing it. But when we eventually find out which character is, it just kind of says uh, millions of things about this character to be honest so essentially the director's cut involves a lot of kind of like homemade bombs by these like these teens these kind of i guess it would be like modern day incels that's why this movie is really resonates now because you have a lot of these mass shooters and these kids are damaged and like yeah it it really feels like it works today too you're right so we have these three young men that are planning these like they plan a movie theater bomb which is fucked right and it goes off it's like this little dirty bomb they don't know if they killed anybody or anything like that so they scurry off but this this young woman witnessed them do it and uh, she starts to follow them around. She's a little bit older. She starts to use them and manipulate them and they both, they all end up getting involved with, you know, some more bombs, but also they find this kind of this, uh, this uh, foreigner, this, uh, I believe British guy is a Hong Kong movie. Of course, this British guy, and he's carrying this suitcase and they steal his notes, which are these notes that are basically for like a million yen Japanese money. And they take them and they try to get them like cashed in and all everything. And they have all these different kind of things like that. I should mention that the, the, the woman is her brother is a cop, you know, and she's younger. And he's trying to take care of her, all this kind of shit. So he starts to get involved with the business and everything. But soon enough, all, all kind of like roads lead to these group of these group of young people that are involved with the bombings and the stolen money. So they got criminals and cops and all this kind of shit after him and like there's these really kind of brutal moments in the very beginning of the movie um slight spoiler here it's kind of a spoiler but we have this cat that's thrown on this barbed wire fence and throughout the entire movie you see it rot and rot and rot the situation getting worse and worse and worse and one of those characters ends up on that fence too and it's just kind of like poetic justice for that character or kind of like saying a lot of things like that um the end of the movie takes place in a graveyard and it's just like an amazing kind of shootout and stuff and just like weird action stuff going on and the last shot is kind of just like yeah that's about right that's probably that kind of mentality at this point but it's just a a weird crazy movie and it's just these motions and these feelings of young people and like the mental illness and fucked up you know ideas that they have and here and stuff just feels like it resonates and it's just like kind of like the ideology or mental kind of shit of people never really changes right like these ideas are always there this kind of violence this kind of bored recklessness and 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 whatever it just all feels there and disconnect from humanity and just i don't know it's just a wild movie and i love the lead female in here she's got a tremendous look she's got a really great performance and and she's just really iconic and i i don't think i'll ever forget her in this movie to be honest um like i said that animal cruelty is real rough in this one like i was like fuck i can't believe they did that um between this and the beast already i'm just like man there's gonna be a lot of dead animals in 1980 and i'm not obviously we're gonna get to those cannibal movies too which i've seen um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it just kind of took me back on this one. Really well made, really good action moments too, and suspense and just the city looks so, so perfect how it's filmed and how it takes place. And, and just like I said, it's got a, a grittiness and dangerness, a, a lot of danger to it. Um, I, I will say that, um, they do use Dawn of the Dead music. They use Goblin music, and it's one of two movies from 1980 that I can think of that rips the Dawn of the Dead score. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Bruno Mattei, you fuck. I love you. Um, but yeah, so one of two movies that rips the Dawn of the Dead score, and I don't know if the theatrical version has it as well. But uh, the score's really good. Obviously, some of it's Dawn of the Dead. I feel like maybe they lifted the rest of the score, but it's all good. Um, and good set pieces, good action. Just a strange, bizarre movie. Like I said, not necessarily horror at all, but if it's that dark kind of thriller crime, 
crime and i think it crosses over and i don't think anybody else would have this movie if that makes any sense to anybody but that is a uh, uh dangerous encounters of the first kind is which what i they believe at the time they called bombings and this is inspired by real bombings and stuff like that that's why it was cut out of the theatrical cut because of that uh, but anyways uh Choi uh hawk is a is kind of a famous director and he's done a, done a lot of movies and i think i covered one on here before and uh you know he's done some other things too that i would definitely love to dive into it's kind of funny that i did spooky encounters of the first kind uh I mean, da- uh, encounter of the spooky kind and dangerous encounters of the first kind on the same video but i've been wanting the meeting to watch this movie forever but yeah gritty crazy dark just messed up stuff here but uh yeah not exactly the most feel-good movie in 1980 uh, not at all hey guys what's up we're here for blind spot this is your pick this is your pick here Oh, yeah. yeah. This is Comedy of Terrors. Um, AIP picture. Um, it's directed by Jacques uh, Turner. I believe is how you say his name. Jacques, Jacques uh, Turner, a French director. Uh, he did Cat People, which we covered on here before. Classic oh, yeah. the, movie. The black and white one. Yeah, it's a great movie. And there's people and they turn yeah. into cats. Yeah. He also did Night of the Demon, mm-hmm. which is another kind of classic that we should probably watch down the line. Oh, wait. It's not Night of the Demons. It's also not Night of the Demon, the 1980 fucking Bigfoot exploitation video nasty. It's a completely different movie. And uh, he did, I think, some more stuff for Val Luton produced uh, produce stuff, which kind of... So, anyways, uh, we're here to do Comedy of Tears. Yes. Starring the late, great talents of four actors, Saul yeah. Fastway, Vincent Price, Peter Laurie, Boris Karloff, and Basil Rathbone. Right. And I probably a bit dick for leaving out the other actors in the movie but when you have people like that they kind of overshadow every yeah, single there's person there's only like a handful of other ones yeah. like there's like two girls and a, and a guy each with one scene although the, no. the wife does have it yeah the wife's pretty great in yeah. that so uh, essentially this is a, a really ridiculous movie how many times had Vincent Price and Peter Lorre been in films together we have The Raven we have I know there's one of those film noirs that I think they share screen time really we I think so I think we did watch that one maybe they were not in the same one um, there we have that um, the Poe one. Oh yeah, I don't remember like the, if that's like Twice Told Tales or Tales of Terror. That one of the I think two it's twice anthologies. Told Tales. Yeah, that one's great with because the wine testing. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. the wine testing. That's amazing. The price of pussy under his breath. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, this is uh, the story of Vincent Price um, and Peter Lawyer who run this kind of a uh, mortuary business. They're real shysty. They're kind of Burke and Hare style characters. Kind of. Kind of. Just more silly. Yeah, and uh, they do everything illegal to try to make money until, of course, it turns into murder. Vincent Price is very casual about committing the murders. Boris Karloff is Vincent Price's father-in-law. He's going deaf. He's absolutely unhinged and ridiculous in it. Mm-hmm. And Basil Rathbone is Vincent Price's landlord. Vincent Price spends the majority of the movie badmouthing his wife and arguing with his wife in the most hilarious ways. He's an absolute mm-hmm. villain and a terrible person. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty much what's going on in the plot of this movie. There's a lot of slapstick stuff, a lot of really clever back and forth between all the actors and stuff like that, and puns and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, like, I, I would say it's more comedy than horror. Um, Vincent Price and P- Peter Lorre, I think, have like a Abbott and Costello kind of feel going on. Um, Lorre is like a former criminal or criminal in hiding, if you yeah. will. Um, so... Price you know, is taking advantage yeah, of Yeah, Price it. just uses that to, like, extort him to, like, help him commit murders, B&Es. Um, and basically, they have to pay uh, their landlord, Basil... Rathbone. Rathbone. I was going to say Rathburn. I mean, um, he's... All these guys... All, all of them have been in Universal oh, films, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, so... Um, 
So, you know, he has to pay his landlord like a year's rent, and he doesn't. So, you know, let's get some more product to put in the ground. And they do that by basically trying to off, you know, some wealthy... Instead of digging up bodies like Burke and Hare to sell them to medical doctors, they are actually just killing people so they have service for their funeral parlor. Right. Um, There's so many great moments in here. Oh, absolutely. um, The by far the best scenes are when Price is absolutely... Uh, appalled at the terrible human behavior that he encounters even though he is the most repulsive person in the entire movie a complete sociopath right so essentially they kill somebody and they're rich and they expect that this person will pay for the funeral and when the person skips town price has this little speech or whatever like, like, like where's the morality what man happens with the morality <laughs> it's fucking the funniest thing ever so good mm-hmm. that they put it in the credits as well we should mention richard matheson uh, wrote oh, some yeah. of the screenplay here. Matheson yeah. is probably one of the greatest horror writers of he, all time. He did not, the I Am Legend guy, yeah, right? Novella, yeah. and he worked on a lot of screenplays mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Totally underrated. Um, one of the most underrated horror yeah. writers of all time, I, probably. I like him. He's all right. I mean, he's also the work he worked in in films and stuff like that. A lot mm-hmm. of people can't do that. No. Um, it, basically, what ultimately happens, the movie does take, I think, a little bit to like get going, because I think like the meat of the movie is what they do with... Uh, with the landlord uh, Basil is um, so like he, he goes through like episodes of like catatonic shock where they, people think he's dead doctors declare him dead but he's really just kind of like sleeping and then he he wakes up and, and like he always has this line like what place is this and um, so that that happens you know several times you know throughout the movie and eventually hijinks ensue and the end is pretty pretty chaotic yeah and uh there's really fun moments of uh you could tell that they, like basil was like i'll do it but i want to do shakespeare so there's this like right. long shakespeare monologue where he thinks he's alone and it just adds him to doing shakespeare uh it, it's just really funny like if you like slapstick or goofy kind of humor with like mm-hmm. uh peter laurie and vincent price you could you can't really do better than having those two guys do this kind of stuff i will say though price looks at his best i think yeah. he looks like Probably at his most healthy I've ever seen him at one point. And Laurie looks the opposite. He does not look very healthy. Well, I, I think Laurie... Was I think older. Laurie Karloff and maybe even um, even uh, Rathbone um, probably passed away for the next five years after making this. I'm fairly certain. Well, um, what was Targets was 68 with uh, Boris Karloff. That was one of his latter films for sure. And this is 63? Uh, he was in Cauldron of Blood, which was 1970 for Karloff. Seven, Karloff, 70, 71. Late 60s, early 70s when he died. Yeah. So it's not too far off. This is 62, 63. So, yeah, within a decade they were all dead. Yeah. It's like for Price who made or, it to the 90s. early 90s. Um, I would say that Karloff is probably the most underused character in this. Um, um, but his screen time is great. Right. And, some of the humor reminded me of Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar to Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, and Laurie and Price have, like, an amazing chemistry together. They always do. Um, you know, they're just really fun to see. Like, I think I actually like watching them more than I do Lee and Cushing interact. Um, although Horror Express is, is fantastic. Ah, I, I don't know about that. It's such a different chemistry. It is, is that different because... chemistry. Like I said, they, they have, like, a comedic thing going on like very similar to like what it was in the raven because because as uh lee is always straight man even if he is comedic in it he mm-hmm. plays it by being funny is by being like the straight right. guy and, and while price and laurie can he do either or right but i would say that price is more the straight man here but 
just because he does things with a straight face, but he's saying the most ridiculous, silly things at the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the movie is, is absurd in nature, um, but Price is a villain. You know he's a villain, but, you know, I don't know if I'm rooting well, for him or, you know. And it has the stuff that I find really funny is the reoccurring gags. Yeah. One with Poison and Karloff. Mm-hmm. Which is so funny. Carlos actually really great in it. Oh yeah. I, the yeah. only downfall of this movie is he's he's not underutilized. I mean, because movie it's mostly the the Pierre Lori Vincent Price show, but right. I would have liked to see a little bit more of Carlos. I would have liked to see him a bit more, you know. But like like he he does have good scenes. It's just he only has like two or three scenes and you know barely a minute or so. It. And he just kind of has like the same dialogue over and over. Although his last scene is My probably medicine. like like the you know his. His finest part in the film. Um, I feel like the music in this was very like comical and silly, right? In a way. Yeah, music was pretty okay. So we got Creature Features by John Stanley's. Uh, John Stanley. Uh, Comedy of Terrors, 1963. Four out of five stars. Okay. Side-splitting parody. Undertaker's Vincent Price and Peter Lorre plot to finish off landlord Basil Rathbone, but bumble their own demises. Uh, Boris Karloff is hysterical uh, role as an old geezer with Joey Brown and Boxham Joyce Jameson adding to the macabre merriment. Directed a Jack Turner, Curse of the Demon, thank you, Night of the Demon, makes sport of horror cliches with a cast that made the cliches famous. Classic black comedy script by Richard Matheson, first written as the Graveside Story. Okay, um... And I should mention that um, we mentioned Joey Brown because his scene in the cemetery is absolutely ridiculous. Remember that guy? Is that the Irish guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that was the guy that's like it's like yeah he's got one scene. Yeah. Um, um, Tear on tape by James O'Neill. Uh, cats are chasing each other. Comedy of Terrors, three out of four stars, nineteen sixty four. Price and Laurie are bumbling 19th century undertakers who decide to improve business by murdering Landlord Rathbone and then staging an elaborate funeral. The trouble is, Basil doesn't die that easily. Though clearly slapped together in a hurry to take advantage of the success of The Raven, this farce has a funny script by Richard Matheson and gets a lot of mileage out of its once-in-a-lifetime cast with Laurie in especially winning form, a.k.a. The Grey Side Story. Yeah, so I would give it 4 out of 5. No, no complaints. Yeah, I'd, I'd say four out of five. It's it's a good, like, weekday watch, I feel. It's not too long. Um, Comfort food, put it on Halloween, have right. a nice double feature with Arsenic and Old Lace, even though that's close to a two-hour movie, so you might want to do a double feature with that. Yeah, actually, I think Arsenic and Old Lace might be a more halloween movie, because it does take, take place on Halloween. But I'm just saying yeah. double feature. But it, this is a good double feature with it. They're very hand-in-hand. Um you know, unfortunately, you don't have Karloff in Arsenic and Old Lace, although they it wanted to. should have been, which yeah. is a nice Peter Lorre connection. So anyways, right. we're both about the same, four or five. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. I, I just love Peter Lorre. I think he's fascinating. Um, I, I think I've liked every movie he was in. Yeah, I've never disliked well, any Except for maybe Mad Love was kind of rough. Watching. I like Mad Love. I like Mad Love. Mad Love's a great movie, and, in, and way ahead. I mean, other movies kind of did stuff with right. Mad Love after and before, because the story hands at Orlock, right? But I'm just saying that there's some really iconic imagery in Mad Love that makes up for any of the shortcomings it would have. Oh, yeah. Maltese Falcon was amazing. He, yeah. He's too short in Casablanca. Um, I mean, he's great in everything. Let's he is great in everything. I, love, I, I think Raven is, was uh, fantastic. I just think he, he's really fun in it. And, uh, you know, Emma is a really powerful performance if you guys... Yeah, you guys everybody should. knows Peter Lorre, Jeremy. I'm talking about a guy I like. 
It's fun. The one guy you know and remember one, is Peter Lorre. The one guy and Danny DeVito. And really, we're not that far off. <laughs> Danny DeVito as Peter Lorre in Vincent Price <laughs> biopic. Um, okay, so uh, next week, it's my pick. Yep. And where are Now the retro year is 1980. Yeah, now we got to do a 1980s. So, uh, 1980s is one of the best years in horror ever. So, how do I uh, pick a movie? I pick one of the lesser known movies in 1980. It's not one of the best movies in 1980. So, this one we're going to do is Silent Scream because we're on a short running time. It's an hour. It's part of the Hammer House of Horrors, which we didn't watch for the Hammer Time. No. Um, there's 13 episodes. We're not going to watch all of them. I'm not going to make you watch all of them. I'm going to watch all of them. But this one is the one that I remembered most from the Elvira tapes when she used to do the introductions for them in the video stores, the thriller tapes. And it's called Silent Scream with Brian Cox and Peter Cushing. And uh, I always remember really liking this one. So that's what we're going to do next week. That's what we're going to do next week. Next week. (laughs) Don't you even think about skipping on that soy gravy. Before we get into the questions and stuff, let's do uh, my top 10. I'm going to give you my top 30 of 1994 and five movies that I watched that I really like that I don't consider horror enough to include on the list. Some of my freaking list anyways isn't exactly horror. You know how it goes. So if you have, if you want to get in-depth and listen to this, go over to the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror. You can listen to uh, all our lists, our top tens. We go in a little bit more depth, of course. So let's start this out with five movies I watched that I really enjoyed that I did not consider horror enough to include on the list. 1941, Hong Kong on Fire. Um... Yeah, this is a really crazy exploitation kind of war drama, which obviously kind of shares, shares similarities to Black Sun, the Naking Massacre. Um, then we also have a Chinese torture chamber, really kind of weird comedy sex movie, which I really enjoyed. Uh, Angel Guts, Red Flash. Man, this is a crazy thriller. Um, I love the stylistic look of it. It was really good. I definitely would rewatch this one for sure. Surviving the Game. You know, most dangerous game style story. They hunt Ice T. Great cast: uh, Rugger Howard, Charles S. Dutton, uh, John C. McKinley, Gary Busey, F. Marie Abraham, William McNamara, and fucking Ice T. You can't beat it. Then a Jeff Corey, great movie. I reviewed all these movies too. If you want anything more in depth on the channel, just search. And of course, the best non-horror movie I include is Heavenly Creatures by Peter Jackson. It's a freaking masterpiece based on a true story. Amazing performances, fantasy, weird elements. Um, so now let's get into the top thirty, and. Anything from 30 to 20 is whatever order, right? So, uh, number 30, Underground Banker. Less horror, kind of. More exploitation. Listed as horror on Internet Movie Database. Anthony Wong goes against this weird kind of banker. Real brutal murder in here of his fan, of his kid getting set on fire. Not murder, but set on fire. Underground Banker, really crazy, weird exploitation movie. 29, Hello, Who Is It? Weird Hong Kong movie about a girl who's raped and killed, and she goes into the phone lines to kill her rapist. This also has, like, one of these guys who's in, like, every Hong Kong movie as a rapist. He's, like, real crazy and skinny, and he's got, like, wide gaps between his teeth. Really good performance by him. Like the idea of people getting killed by phone lines. Pretty wild kills. Two versions of this movie, one that's cut with subtitles and one that's uncut without subtitles. So I watched uh, the original version, and I was like, oh, that's good. And then I watched the uncut version just to see the scenes like in murders and deaths and stuff. And some of the stuff I was like, oh, wow, that rape scene was really nasty in the uncut version. Um, just small little details that they add in, like tears coming from her eye after she's dead. And you're just like, oh, that's fucking gross. 28, uh, The Rapist, which is based on a true story. Um, really kind of crazy police procedural movie, similar to Red to Kill, rapist movie. Um, Twenty Hong Kong movie, of course. 27, Wrath of Silence, about a... Uh, uh, 
kind of a uh, basically this like serial rapist going around and he's real gross and he uses like bugs on people and like a mortuary um, a mortician it's got to stop him it, it's pretty crazy weird movie 26 shrunken heads from full moon really enjoy this one um freaking uh danny elfman a richard elfman movie just fun i don't know who it's made for but i've always enjoyed it 25 uh funny man first time i watched this didn't love it rewatched it really entertaining zany slasher movie from the uk with christopher lee of course 24 phantasm 3 lord of the dead love the road horror stuff um reggie bannister is the man love that he fights a bunch of zombies and one is john chandler davies great stuff there and then we have 23 this is no order the bottom 10 are in any order right mix them up however you want um puppet masters donald sutherland sci-fi story really crazy stuff obviously a body snatcher story 22 angel dust really well-made japanese horror thriller really kind of strange and i feel like if i watched it a couple more times i would have it higher on the list um 21 west craven's new nightmare a lot of cool ideas in this movie really great stuff love seeing west act in the movie and just different uh you know nightmare elm street movie that's really solid and different um but it does have some shakiness like you remake you're basically redoing it and have your last moment on nightmare elm street west craven but you make the kills less whatever maybe it's the time and then we have 19 uh 20 Night Watch, that's kind of in a vein of a thriller at the same time, but I think it crosses over with some of the kills. Um, like I said, I, it's been a long time since I've watched a lot of these. Just a well-made kind of thriller horror film. Um, 19, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein went up for me on the third watch. Great performances, but it seems like it's missing about 20 minutes of Frankenstein footage, my Frankenstein monster footage, but uh, it's a really well-made professional movie, and I do like a lot of the things that they do in it. Um, 18, Wolf with Jack Nicholson. Love Jack Nicholson. Mike Nichols movie. A lot of good actors in this. A lot of good dialogue. Jack Nicholson is a fucking werewolf. How can he go wrong? 17, Sammy and the T-Rex. Super bonkers, weird, funny, zany movie with a great cast. Uh, uh, fucking animatronic T-Rex. Buckflower. That's all you need to know. Uh, 16, Wicked Games. Tim Ritter shot on video. Sequel to Truth or Dare. Um, it's really weird. Uh, check out the Snuff Edition if you want something even weirder. Love Joel D for life. 15. Bloodlust Subspecies 3. Gotta love Subspecies 3. Uh, 2 and 3 are just a blast. The crazy mob monster zombie thing. Love that. Anyways, it's just a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Monsters and Castle Windows is basically how I'll explain this. 14. Uh, miniseries The Kingdom by Lars von Trier. Helmer for Life. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Really, really well made kind of miniseries that sucks you in. 13, The Stand by Stephen King, uh, one that I had a lot of nostalgia for, um, always had a closeness to it because I saw it as a kid, great cast, um, the, the last act kind of falls apart, but that's due to the book, they did a really good job with what they had, let's be honest, 12, Mosquito, really fun kind of Michigan horror film by Josh Becker, uh, just really cool special effects, giant mosquitoes killing people, 11, can't believe this didn't make my top 10, but it didn't. Uh, Savage Harvest by Eric Stanzi. Uh, Low-budget SOV, uh, Evil Dead kind of style thing. Really style, uh, really well-made for an SOV movie. Good camera shots. Good mythology created by him for this kind of stuff. Native American kind of um, demons ripping people apart. Great stuff. 10. Red to Kill by Billy Tang. Crazy Cat 3 movie, if you have not seen it. Basically, a mentally handicapped person's uh, raped by this kind of crazy killer that has a trigger every time they see red, they have to kill and rape. Really crazy movie. Uh, really mean-spirited. Nine, Love Minus Zero Equal Infinity by Hisiasu Sato. Really weird, voyeuristic Sato movie. Kind of typical, but different. Vampire tale, possibly, question mark. Uh, science gone mad tale. Uh, corporation, capitalism, greed. Uh, good movie. 
8, Filadad, uh, the animated movie, really good. Cat Giallo, uh, yeah, like it's a genre or something. But anyways, it's really good, really well animated, and really dark stuff. Really good stuff. Loved it. Uh, 7, Brain Scan by John Flynn. Love this movie. Childhood favorite again. Edward Furlong gets sucked into a weird video game. You can't tell reality and fantasy. Carries out murders. The guitar riff is fucking awesome in this movie. Number 6, which I should switch. This should be number 5. I'm going to do it right now. Number 6 is Interview with the Vampire. Big scaling, epic Hollywood movie. Well directed, well acted, um, more gory than one would expect. Number five, Shattered Dead, SOV classic, amazing story by Scooter McRae. Just a, a bonkers, uh, really dark and grim, depressing movie that I've always loved. Um, number four, it's a tie, and I shouldn't do that. I normally wouldn't do that, but I included these together. My Sweet Satan and Roadkill, The Last Days of John Martin. It's two shorts released on the same tape by Film Threat by Jim Van Beber. Just great shorts. If nobody's ever seen them, they're on YouTube. Check them out. One's based on a true story, kind of. Uh, updated version, and one's kind of like this old weird Texas Chainsaw thing. Great stuff, great gore, just hit hard, punk rock shit, you know. Three, Serial Mom by John Waters. I consider it a horror film, a horror comedy, for sure, comedy horror. The, sl- the killings in this are brilliant. Catherine Turner's brilliant. Very funny. The funniest movie of the year. Had me in tears. Love it. Two, In the Mouth of Madness, kind of an underrated uh, John Carpenter movie about mass hysteria. It's just really unique. Lovecraft love letter. Stephen King love letter. Great cast. Sam Neill, Jorgen Prichow, Julie Carmen, everybody. And number one, of course, is Cemetery Band by Michele Suave. Just a uh, endlessly entertaining dark comedy it's fit for shakespeare all right let's say it zombies noggy uh sex just great stuff cemetery man so that is my top 30 of 1994 i watched 120 movies 112 features six shorts and two miniseries for 1994 i uh, left some off the table i didn't rewatch the crow never really gets it in a horror film didn't rewatch uh ghoulies four and stuff like that and i uh, just really couldn't take it but uh yeah so let's get into these questions comments concerns all that good thing check my uh i'm talking really fast here because i don't want my audio to go out Okay, so last week I asked you most unhinged performances in a movie, um, but some people are answering other things. Okay, my two, fun watch. I love angst and comedy. It tears is great. Very fun movie. Those two are so different and show you can make so many varieties of great horror. I'll toss Klaus Kinski in there for over-the-top performances since I originally had Cage, and it was a little obvious. Oh, Matthew McConaughey and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Just, wow. Another 1994. Not my truth. The truth. The plot to Wild Things becomes a little bit creepier when you realize it's not a college, but a high school. No shit. Ken Coakley, I love The Harder They Come. There was a movie theater in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts called the Orson Welles Theater. The movie played at the theater for six years. One time when I was about nine, I convinced my brother to take me to see the movie. He gave in. There's a scene that has the Ivanhoe character being photographed by a professional photographer. When that scene came up, a really good-looking guy who was mimicking the scene. It turned out to be the star of the film, Jimmy Cliff. He signed a napkin for me, and he told me to never give up my dreams. I wish I listened to him, LOL. Andrew, that's a great story. Andrea Brigitte, I love your reviews. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Ken Coakley, most off-the-rails performance I saw was Rugger Howard in the U.S. debut of Nighthawks. He played an international cherist being chased by a New York cop played by Sylvester Stallone. Then a year later, he did another manic performance in Blade Runner. Hell, and is also his off-the-rails performance in, in uh, freaking The Hitcher. Honorary mentions go to Joe Spinella, Maniac, as well as Richard Liberty, and, as well as Joe Pilato in Day of the Dead. Must listen to me, Captain. You must listen to me. Listen to this. Uh, Kentucky uh, Kentucky Dater. I knew I remembered a bear costume slasher flick. That's right. That's Girls Night Out. D. Gulag agreed. Girls Night Out is a total charmer. I found myself going back to it over the years just because it's fun. John Soloway. uh, David Argo is Dicko. 
the maniac Rue Hunter and Ra- Razorback. He and his brother Benny are more scary than the actual Razorback in that movie. The actor David just went completely off the script. His fellow actors constantly struggling to keep up. He even bought his own costume to wear. Uh, Deidre Keith, Dieter Laser and Human Centipede 3 could be the single most over-the-top performance in screen history. There were times when you generally concerned for the man's health. Yeah. Ryan Vincent Logston, Sizemore and MBK. I've never wounded anything in my life. Uh, of course. Mark Ball, everyone in possession. Agreed. Rich uh, Rich Rabbit, John Lithgow in the Twilight Zone movie. Ah, uh, I love Credence. Love that. Tom Brooker, Isabella Johnny in possession. Agreed. W- William Adcock, Ernest Borgnine in Emperor of the North. He's legit terrifying. Love that movie. Uh, Johnny Brecco, uh, I don't want to say your name, Brezex. Harvey Keitel and Bad Lieutenant. Good one. Beep, beep. Uh, Zachary Puccinelli, Nick Cage and the Wicker Man. The Bees. Lacey Liu, Emma, Roger- Emma Roberts, Scream 4. Troy Haworth, Neville Brand, and William Finley are equal, about equal in Eaten Alive. No, everybody in Eaten Alive is just screaming at the top of their lungs. Why? Who knows? It's a Toby Hooper movie. And then he also says, and for sheer drunken lunacy, Jack Palance and Justine is as hard to beat. Uh, Joachim Johansson, Dennis Hopper in Texas Chainsaw 2. Uh, Vincent Panera, also Bill Mosley in the same movie, right? He says Bill Mosley in the same. Charles Meacham, Mikhail Shannon, Bug. Great choice. Scary performance, too. Nick Cage, Bad Lieutenant. Two, Brad Pitt, Twelve Monkeys, D. Wallace, Frighteners, and um, yeah, he says uh, basically Charles Meacham says Michael Shannon, Bug, Nick Cage, Bad Lieutenant, Two, Brad Pitt, Twelve Monkeys, D. Wallace, Frighteners, Tim Walker, Susan Tyrell, and Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker comes to mind. Agreed. Maybe Arch Hall Jr. in The Sadist as well. Uh, John uh, Gian Cosbro, me as Harry Russo, yeah for sure, uh, from the Schizophrenic and Necromaniac movies. Uh, Justin uh, Burning, my answer is Isabella Johnny in Possession, but honorable mention for my man Peter Hooten in Night Killer. No idea what the fuck he's doing in that movie. I got molested in the little boys' room. Good call on that one. Michael Fisher, Wendy Roby, and the People Under the Stairs. Good call. Terrence Cover, maybe not the most, but the most recent one that stood out to me as being full on bonkers choice was Christopher Walken in Communion. How dare you? Uh, Kyle Raburn, Cage in Willie's Wonderland, Marcus Cook, Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth. Oh, yeah. John Devlin, Christopher Walken in Communion, Nicholas Cage in Wickerman, and Tommy Wiseau in The Room. Cassidy Botwin, Susan Tyrell in Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. I agree. Aaron Mozella, Isabella Johnny in Possession, Chris Leppard, Wings Hauser in Champagne and Bullets, Josh Hayes, I'm going to say Harvey Keitel in Bad Lieutenant, LOL. Mark Langora, Nicholas Cage, Vampires Kissed, Angela Jane Nagy, agrees. Good one. Tom uh, Horsball, Isabella Johnny, Possession, Kevin Keegan, Choi Ming Sink in I Saw the Devil, Daniel Detila, Bale and the Machinist, Eric Roberts or Mickey Rourke in Spawn. Era, Era's. I, Ian Isra, or Isra, uh, Bill Forsythe out of Justice, Jake Criddle, I gotta give it up for Cage and Vampire's Kiss, Nick Mua, once again an intriguing question, sir, if I may uh, give you three, though, they're all from the same movie, namely Graveyard Shift. One, Brad Dorfman as an exterminator suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Two, Stephen Mott as Warwick, the boss from Hell, Hell's Asshole. And three, Robert Allen Buth as the I- Ibison, especially his imitation of Warwick, more than enough crazy to fill a cuckoo's nest, pun intended. Uh, grave- you'll go on to the Graveyard Shift. Love that movie. Questions. One, what would you do if your boss from hell gave you the graveyard shift? If I really didn't want to do it, I'd quit and find another job. Name relatively short films that feel very long, uh, like a long one. Ooh, um, there are some. I should have done some research on that. But uh, somebody just talked about The Prey, so let's go with The Prey. Uh, <laughs> the Prey um, from 1984. What is the musical? Not in this episode. I listened to The Exploding Heads. They talk about The Prey. That's one that feels longer than it should. When is the musical episode of The Mr. Parker Show coming? Have a good one. It's not ever going to happen. 
the hills are alive. Um, no, that was my that was my singing talent right there. Stephen McGovern, Anthony Wong in the Untold Story, agreed. Stephen McGovern also says Joe Spadella, Maniac, Michael Church, Kevin Kenny, and Crazy Murder. Good choice. That movie's nuts. Shane Glass, uh, Isabella Johnny in Possession, Mike Papa, Gary Oman and Leon the Professional. Everyone. Angela Jane uh, Nagney, Nicolas Cage, Mandy and the Wicker Man remake, Daniel Carlson, Jeffrey Combs and the Frighteners. My body is a roadmap of pain. So let's get into the question of this week. So basically, I want you to give me your top 10 horror films of 1980. Now, please list them in order because I'm going to do a, a whole list. I don't do more than 10. I'll only count the 10. I'm going to calculate what the listeners' top 10 horror films of 1980 are. Please go off Internet Movie Database, and then I'll make a final list, and we can compare at the end how close you guys are to me, how, how we differ and stuff like that when we get to this eventually. So please give me your top 10 horror films of 1980. If you want to do 10, I'll do 5. So you guys see what you mean. You're number 1 will count as 10 points your number uh, two will count as nine points and i'll tally the points up and see where they register and everything like that so anyways uh yeah let's uh get into the update and the patreon drawing you know what i'm gonna do the patreon drawing here because i'm unhinged and that's what we're doing i was checking my time on there now um so basically i'm gonna draw five names for the patreon see where we're at uh what movies we'll be watching this bag is getting fatter and fatter right um, here we go. John Wilhelm. Any Macondo, Mondo Macabre release not seen? Love it. Um, that's one. Who else do we got? Um, Derek B. Where? Which is a werewolf film I've wanted to see forever. Kind of a, a different kind of one. I probably think I'm cheating. I'm not putting the bag here. What else do we got here? Um, we got Derek B. Another. He's got Godzilla, Mothra, and King Godira. So he's got two coming out of the bag. That's three. What do you guys number four? Jason Willard, Knockabout, directed by Sam, or with Samo Hung, who I just covered a movie for, so that's cool. Get to see more by him. And the last one coming out of the bag. Get some of these ones from the bottom pulled up. Is gonna be Chris Rivers, The Chase, 1966. So there we go. I, I don't remember which if I've seen that one or know which that one is. But anyways, we're gonna hop into that update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First up is, uh, how do you say this? Anatomola uh, Extinction. This is director, I believe, of Meatball Machine. Is that is that who did it? But uh, yeah, this is from the Air 444. This is their first release. Not the special edition. I missed out on that. But uh, yeah, anyways, I'm interested to check that one out. Sounded kind of crazy. Then we have their second release, second and third release here. It is the um, Funky Forest, the First Contact, and the Warped Forest Collection. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this company's stuff out. Uh, I know they have some uh, Cat 3 movies coming out. Uh, This looks very bizarre and different. Um, They also sit along a picture here with some nudity on it, of course, and a soundtrack for Funky Forest. So very cool. Looks like a nice set there. Bumping the camera, of course, like I always do. Sorry about that. Temperature changes are crazy. Then we have uh, one from 1980. That's right. New Year's Evil, the new Kino release. It's supposed to have a new scan on there. I've never loved this movie, but uh, is there a new scan? I don't know. Maybe I'm just buying the same stuff over and over again like an idiot for a slipcover. I've done dumber, but uh, yeah, this is New Year's Evil. Uh, I have the Screen Factory. Let's. I, I definitely, if I don't enjoy it this time, I don't think I'll ever like New Year's Evil. Uh, one from 1980. We have another one from 1980, released by Kino, re-released from Screen Factory. This is Without Warning, which is uh, kind of a classic movie with Jack Palance and Martin Landau. Uh, all sorts of ridiculousness in it. Uh, really done by Graydon Clark. Uh, and it's kind of a really fun movie, if you haven't noticed. Uh, there's a crazy alien in this thing. Precursor to Predator, actually. 
What else do we have? We have Violent City uh, with Charlie Bronson, Tally Savalas, Jim Ireland. This is by Sergio Soloma. Soloma, which this is a great movie. I had like a, a Italian import. So happy to have a, a stateside release. Um, this is a really cool one of Bronson's best, actually. Probably one of his most underrated, to be honest. Violent City, great stuff. Uh, then we have a new release of Mr. Majestic, a new scan. This is a great uh, Charles Bronson flick. Always liked this one. Uh, got some really memorable lines. He's the watermelon farmer. Just really cool stuff. Nobody's ever seen Mr. Majestic. We got Art Lantira there, who died fairly young. But we got a brand new 2K master of it, so picked it up. Uh, I always love ordering from Kino. They always put out lots of cool stuff. Grand Slam. Janet Lee, Robert Hoffman, Klaus Kinski, Aldolfo Seri. Uh, yeah, this one, Edward G. Robinson. I believe it's an Italian flick. I had the old DVD. Never did get a chance to watch it. But uh, yeah, I love these Italian kind of crime films and everything like that. So looking forward to checking out Grand Slam. Next up, we have The Cursed, which was uh, 8 for Silver originally. Went through theaters. I uh, heard good things. Heard only good things about this one, uh, honestly. I felt like my time was going out there. But, uh, yeah, so I picked it up relatively cheap. I guess it's uh, somewhat of a werewolf story. Then we have The Beta Test, which I I watched for uh, last year, and I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Not necessarily a horror film, but close enough. Uh, who's who's the actor in here? It's the same people that did uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, Jim Cummings. He stars and he directed this movie. He's brilliant. This is a hilarious movie. Perfect. Um Next up, we have The Awakening from Screen Factory. This is another 1980 movie. Had an old DVD. Heard this movie uh, was so boring that I never picked it up. But since we're doing 1980, I picked up the Blu-ray. Charlton Heston. It's a mummy. Yeah. So hopefully it's all right. And then next up, we also have Chamber of Horrors from Screen Factory. Didn't have this one. Ended up picking it up. Uh, I think I had a DVD of this. I don't think I've ever seen this one here. Uh, But yeah. Uh, not too familiar with the movie, uh, uh, really, but Patrick O'Neill's in there. I think I recognize him from Silent Night. Um, Silent Night, Bloody Night, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry about that, guys. We have some Massacre video here. We have Hard Gore Massacre video order came in. Uh, probably some nudity. No, nudity on the back, but this is a pretty crazy movie. Hard Gore is hardcore. Come and get it. Love it. Uh, yeah, never seen this one. Going to check it out for sure, obviously. Uh, then we have, what's up next, uh, here we have, uh, Portraits of Andrea Palmer, which is a really good movie. I had the old release, but I picked this one up because I'm a, uh, completist for Massacre Video, and it also has, uh, short film Flesh Meat Dolls by the same filmmakers, which is a really crazy short. But, uh, this movie's weird. This is a strange film. Dark kind of porno film. Uh. And then up next, we have, uh, The Bad Pack, uh, Robert Davi, Roddy Piper, Ralph Muller. This looks like an action kind of thing. Uh, it was cheaper to get the whole package. And like I said, I am a collector of the Massacre Video titles. So anyways, I'm looking forward to their other releases, Men Behind the Sun and all that good stuff. So yeah, that's the end of the update. Let's let's get back to that video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. As always, have a good one. Peace.